Uh, Pastor Don will soon be returning. I will often quote the Bible. And one of the things that he says is that we should give honor to where honor is due. Can we give our worship team a hand? Marcellus, where are you? You were some good stuff on the drums today, man. I was, uh, I was digging it. I feel like the drummer never really gets his due on the worship team, and Marcellus was 100 billion times. You were throwing some stuff out there, and I was, I was picking up what you were laying down. It was good. Hey, we're in a, we're in our loaded question series. We are looking at, uh, a lot, I mean, just, we are not looking at hundreds of questions of Jesus. Jesus asked hundreds of questions, and we're looking at seven of them. Um, and today's is, I think, just a real special opportunity with the questions that Jesus is asking, uh, from Matthew 15. Um, this is, let me, let me give you a visual representation. This is my Bible, right? This is, this is the passage we're going to be reading in a second. This big chunk right here, that's 1,500 years of human history. Um, I, I don't know if you knew that. That's, that's a lot of time. Uh, and one of the things that can be challenging is that we go into this, we go into this text and it, it can feel really, really complex sometimes. I feel like what Jesus does today uh, is he highlights something that, that is so human and, and kind of takes out of the like, um, it, it's not that humans are bad a lot of the times. It's just that they're human and they're fallen um, and things aren't always the way that they should be. And he, he shows that and it actually makes that, that big chunk like suddenly very simple. And we start to see like, oh, this is... This is why Jesus says that, and he says that, and he says that, and it all connects, and that's actually really simple. Um, and that's why Jesus' coming is really, really good news, but in a, in a simple way that, that, that might be new for us today. Um, can, we, can we turn the lights on? I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I nearly fell asleep, and I get paid to pay attention. I don't. I mean, kind of, but you know. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be coming from Matthew chapter 15 today. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at one of the questions that Jesus asks or is asked and then what he asks back, starting with verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat which is what I say to my five-year-old. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? That's right. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that that, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak through your word today? Would you speak through your servant today? Would you allow us to receive your love? Amen. 
All right. What Jesus, what Jesus is commenting on is what, what I started with, like 1,500 years of the way that human history has been working through a very particular people. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to explain 1,500 years of Jewish history in seven minutes or less. It's not going to happen. But I'm going to attempt to do 1,500 years in seven minutes or less. Um, in order to do that, I want us to turn very quickly to Matthew chapter 22. This is going to be a passage that illuminates something that is so crystal clear for Jesus that we might completely miss. And if you're in church, you've heard this passage a million times, but I think we're going to miss something. All right. We're going to pick up at verse 34 in Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, who were the rivals of the Pharisees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, meaning Jesus, with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. I added a word there. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as your... All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you have a pen... And if you're okay writing in your Bible, that last verse, verse 40, is very important for us to understand 1,500 years of, like, Jewish history. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Why is that so central to the way that Jesus understands the world, humanity? This question, the question that he's in, in Okay, go to the next slide. For Jesus, the way that he understood everything is that it starts in Eden. Because human history and all of creation starts where? In Eden. And in this very perfect place, there is what was called, some scholars would call either the law of love or the law of Eden. And there are just two very, very simple things. Does anyone want to guess what the law of Eden was? Love God, love each other. That's it. Like there are two very central things that happen in Eden and they happen perfectly. Now we know that it's all shattered and broken, but where the story starts is a perfect experience. And this is where the story ends too. A perfect experience of people receiving the love of God and loving God back. And from the overflow of that love, loving each other well. And for Jesus, his entire, like his vision, for humanity, his vision of creation, his vision for everything is Eden. And that, for, for, for God, post everything being shattered, post these laws being broken, his vision doesn't change. There wasn't a second plan for this. It was, we started in Eden, and we're going to end up in a place that, strangely enough, when we start getting pictures of what the end looks like in Revelation, the final book, it starts to look a lot like where it began. And so when things start to break apart, like God's original idea of like, it's very simple. You receive my love, you love me. And from the overflow of that loving relationship, you love each other and everything around you. That's what I'm going to build on. So for Jesus, the way that he understands everything and the way that the scriptures understand everything, this is the foundation for everything. It's all about love. All right. 
Jesus calls a people, excuse me, God calls a people, and he's like, all right, there's a way that this is going to practically work, because it, it just didn't exactly work in Eden, but I have not given up yet. And so he stacks on top of that some very practical things. Because I can say, let's love each other, let's love God, but what's a really good question? How? How does one do that? What does it look like to love God? I don't know. What does it look like to love each other? I I don't know. And so God, knowing that we probably need a little help, he stacks something on top of that foundation. And we first see that in Exodus chapter 20, and it is called... The Ten Commandments. And so it's like, hey, um, you shouldn't worship any other God. It's just me. It's hard to feel loved, God is saying, if you're loving other gods. I'm a jealous God. Just love me. I only love you. Don't love anyone else. That, like, What God is doing in the Ten Commandments is simply trying to give some practical handles to what it looks like to love him. And then it's like, hey, you know that second commandment about not about loving each other well? Here's a good idea. Don't kill each other. It's hard to love someone you're killing. Here's another one. Like, do you want to know how you, you want to know how to love like families well? Honor your parents. What does it look like to love someone well? Do not steal from them. You shouldn't sleep with the person that they're married to. Also, not a good idea. And so again, it's just some really, really, really practical things. But when you start to read, like the actual stories of the people of God, they didn't do very well with that either. And so they're like, could could we get some more specifics? And God was happy to oblige. And so stacked on top of that, go to the next one, are 613 Levitical commandments. And so it's all about like, okay, you want to know what it looks like to love me and you want to know how you do that and not worshiping other gods, and you want to know how to deal with the guilt when you do that, well, here's what you do. And then there are going to be some very practical instructions for what to do with all of that. Does that make sense? But this is what, it's hugely important to see this. All of this is laddering back to the first two commandments. And all of that ladders back to the beginning. God's vision was Eden, and he would not give up his vision. He wouldn't give it up. And so it started with the first 10, then we got 10, and now there are 613. But human beings are funny creatures. We we started with two, then we got to 10. Let's get some more practical. Now we're up to 613. But then it's like, hey, I'm not sure God was specific enough on that, that one commandment about the Sabbath. Like, set aside a day, don't work on that one. And so you started to have groups of people who were like, well... What does that really mean, right? Like, what does it look to set aside a day, not work on it, and keep it holy? And so they started to do things like, well, how many steps can you take on 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 a Sabbath day? And so they had lots of arguments about, like, well, is it is it like eighty steps? Can you cook food on the Sabbath, or can you not cook food on the Sabbath? And so they 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 started to get into these wild wild conversations and disagreements about all these different things to even get to put another stack on top of that if you want to put to the next one out and those things were called traditions those things were called traditions so i'll I'll give you an example of a tradition 
if you're, if you're a Christian family, or if you grew up in a Christian family, or if you have a roommate and the two of you are Christians, or any kind of like Christian experience, you sit down at the table. It's time to eat. There's food in front of you. What do you do? You say grace. Do you know what that's called? That's called a tradition. Is that a bad thing? No. But do you know why we do it? We do it because we do it. Like for, for many of us, like it, we, we can probably, if you really thought about it for a second, like why do we, oh, we do it because like, it's called giving thanks. Like we're, we're thanking God for the food. And like the reason that it started was because we wanted to always like three times a day, we were like, oh, this is a gift from God. It's a, I'm ingesting it into my body. I'm eating it. It's giving nourishment, like on and on and on and on. But do we really treat the prayer before meals with like the kind of reverence that we were hoping that it would inspire when that tradition started? Probably not. Why do we do it? We do it because we do it. There's a story. And this, this mom uh, was cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And the mom had a daughter that was like 10 or 11 years old. This is not my daughter, by the way. And uh, the, the, the mom was prepping the turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. And right before she puts it into the oven, she cuts about a third of the turkey, like the back end of the turkey off, puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. And the daughter looks at the mom and it's like, hey, why did you, why did you do that? And she's like, I, I mean, I don't know. That's just the way my mom did it. So that's what it is that we do. And so her, she was like, I, that's a really good question though. Like, why do we cut off a third of the turkey before we put it into the oven? Like, I assume it's because it magically does something and makes it taste better. And so they go into, she calls her mom and it's like, hey, do you know why we do this? She's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't know why we do it. I did it because my mom did it. And so her mom, who is very, very old, she gets her on the phone, calls her and it's like, hey, mom, you know how for Thanksgiving, we always cut off a third of the turkey, and I taught my daughter to cut off a third of the turkey, and she's now teaching her daughter to cut off a third of the turkey. Why did we do that? And she was like, because I had a really small pan. But the way, the way that things happen is like something was started, and it's passed on, and it's passed on, and it's passed on. Like, is the pan bad? Is it, is it, is it bad? Was it evil? That, no. It's like something was started. But what happens over time is that the, the, the vehicle for why we do something and the vision for why we do something get confused. Oftentimes, like we have a vision for why we want to do something. And then there are practical things that serve as the vehicle for doing those things. But over time, and this is just what it is to be human, those two things get switched. And over time, the vehicle, the practice, the tradition that we had becomes the vision. So what, what is it that Jesus is saying here? Let's, let's go back to the text. Matthew 15. So again, in Jesus' mind, he's not thinking 613 Levitical commands. He's not even thinking 10 commandments. What is he thinking? Eden. He's thinking the law of love. This is all about love. And so this is what they come and ask him. Verse 2 in verse chapter 15. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. The reason that, they, that the Pharisees were asking this question was because there was a tradition that, that there was a fear that as you were traveling from one place to another, that something would get on your hands. And if that thing, which was impure, which would set you apart from being in a right relationship with God, if that was on your hands and you put it in your mouth accidentally, that you would have violated the law and you didn't know it. 
And so for fear that they would violate one of those 613 commands, what did they do? They started washing their hands. Again, is that bad? No. But does it sound like this question is coming from a place of love? Or does it sound like there's a, there's a group of people that are trying to catch someone? Because love, maybe more than anything else, being right. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I love it. You can ask Aaron. You can ask Chris. You can ask our staff. You can ask our elders. Like, if you want to see one of the worst versions of me, it's when I am convinced that I am right. And I'm not going to let it, Rob, I see that smirk. But that's a human thing, right? Like, we, we, we want, like, some, there are times when we will trade. I saw that little tap there. Yeah. That there are times when we will trade right relationship for rightness. And that's what it is that the Pharisees are doing here. They had lost the vision of love and the vehicle, the tradition had replaced it. Jesus is very sly though. He does not answer their question. He pivots. Look what he says. Verse three. Jesus replied, Hey guys, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. So at this point, Jesus has laddered up. So he's not just talking about the law of Eden. He's gone up one rank. Now he's talking about the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments is honor your father and mother. And if you don't, guess what happens? It is punishable by, by death to do that, depending on like how bad it is. And so he's coming right back at them. And is like, you're talking to me about a tradition way up at the top of the totem pole. Let's go down for a second. You are advising people to break one of Moses' commandments. Verse 5, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. What in the world is Jesus talking about? All right, this is what it is. There's this thing called Koran law, and it was a way of understanding um, that there, you, you might be someone who had a little bit of wealth, and you could take a chunk of your wealth and you could say, hey, when I die, this money is going to be given to the temple. And when I die, you get this percentage of money or you get this amount of money. But from time to time, this funny thing would happen. Like here I am, I'm 37, almost 38 years old. And my parents are, adva- I mean, they're not like super old, but they're advancing in age. And eventually they're going to get to a point where like they could fall on some really difficult times and I'm going to need that money to help them. But I have said, hey, that money is going to the temple. Who doesn't like that? The religious people. And so what it is that Jesus is saying is this. Hey, guys, you are more than willing to violate a law of Moses when it meant you got money. More than willing to do that. You're more than willing to be like, hey, because that money was consecrated to God, it's really like taking care of the commandments. I mean, I know it's not taking care of your father and mother, but it's really consecrated to God. And Jesus is like, bros, no. I mean, what Jesus is saying without saying it when he pivoted was this. You come to me and you're talking about traditions. Like, you can't even, what are you talking about? You're not even talking about, like, we're talking about the the, the fourth command about honoring your father and mother. Where's that the fifth command? Fifth, thank you, Aaron. Scripture, Beth? No? Okay. D- does that make sense? Like, what Jesus is trying to identify is, is 
is, hey, religious people, you have completely lost. You're completely lost. And and, and what it is that the vision was, it was all about love. This was not seven minutes, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. I know that I did. That was my phone. So what we have Jesus talking about are these two things that they are identifying that have missed the vision, and it was all about love. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. And for Jesus, he never gets lost. He never gets lost. But I think the thing for us to identify, and it's a very human thing, and this is what is going to be very good news for us. It's a very human thing. It is very easy, and it is very human, for us to take a tradition, for us to take a ritual, for us to take something that works, and over time, it starts to miss the original reason that we kept it. And so what Jesus is, like, that's just a human thing. That is a normal thing. That doesn't make you bad. That doesn't make you evil. That makes you human. And the encouragement of Jesus is like, what's the vision? Two commandments. Love me, love each other. And you can't do the second, by the way, if you don't do the first. And so it's it's this, there's this abundance of grace around this, whereas you, like, over time, this is just what it is to be human. You're going to have these traditions. You're going to try to do these things because you don't know how to love well. And that's okay. You're going to figure things out as you go. But over time, those things stop working and you start to realize that you're doing the thing for different reasons than why you started it. So I'll give you an example. Or just a frustrating thing. Um, So I use a lot of examples that are around kids, right? Because I have kids. But a part of that is because I I didn't really become a Christian until my early 20s. And there wasn't like a big gap. Like there was a gap. There wasn't like a giant gap. (coughs) Hello, Stephen. There, there, There wasn't a giant gap between when it is that I started having kids, uh, and when it is that I became a Christian. And so, so many of my stories are around like, oh, I'm understanding Jesus or I'm understanding God because I have these little rugrats running around. Um, when Judah, who's my third, my third, who's my second child, but three months in, he was three months old, he was a really difficult baby. Um, really difficult. One of the things about uh, Avery, our, our oldest, when she was born, it requires so little change in our life. And so what I, what I had started to do over the previous couple of years before having Avery and then as we had her is I had this really elaborate early morning thing with the Lord um, where, where I would get up early and it would last a good 90 minutes. And it was uninterrupted. It was beautiful. It was choreographed. There was, I mean, like, there were like movements that were happening. I mean, like, it was, and like, I had finally figured out how like I connected with the Lord in this pure, practical way. And Avery came, and none of it had the chain. She was just like this idyllic baby. It was amazing. And then Judah came, and he was less idyllic. And it was like my entire life got burned to the ground, not because he's bad, but because like he was just different. He, and, and, and he, I mean, like he was up every 90 minutes for a year. Like it was, I mean, it was, and I was exhausted and I was tired. And this is what I noticed. This is what happened. Because I could not get my perfect choreographed ritual, I didn't do anything. That is a very human thing. It's a very human thing. We jump from ditch to ditch. 
if I can't get the perfect thing, I'm not going to do anything. That is a very, very human experience. This is, this is the good news of Jesus, though. He knows that. Like, did Jesus love me any less because in the midst of what was a really, really challenging year, like, for whatever reason, I was at a place where in my own spiritual walk, in my own spiritual maturity, I went from this perfect choreographed thing to nothing. Did he love me less? No. Do you think Jesus understood that? The scriptures say that we have a high priest who's able to relate to us, who's able to understand us in every single way because he was tempted as we were. He experienced life as we did, yet he perfect. And in the midst of my imperfection, he gets it. He gets it. And so sometimes it's really, really easy to look at the Pharisees, like when you read the scriptures, and, and, and pin them as the bad guy. Like an easier way, I think, is to be like, they just sound human to me. They like to be right. I like to be right. They have rituals. I have rituals. They want to connect to God in certain ways. I want to connect to God in certain ways. In some ways, my life is burning down. Or some ways, it doesn't even take like a major shift. It just takes one little thing, and then I feel completely thrown off. So this is true if you're 10. This is true if you're 20. This is true if you're 30. This is true if you're 90. We are, we are a people who are looking for ways and practices to connect to the Lord and to connect to each other. And the challenge for all of us is that life happens. And, and the good news of Jesus is this. He does never, he does not ever lose sight of the vision. He does not lose sight of the vision that he loves you. He does not lose sight of a vision where he is going to carry you along to the end goal, to finish the task, to finish the race that you have started, even when you fall, even when you don't want to. He's going to carry it on to completion. That, he who began a good work in you, will finish it. He's going to finish it. And so what we see with him, with the Pharisees, the thing that he is challenging, he's just challenging a really human experience that we all have. A really human experience. That we, so I want to, I want to, start to like close. And there are, there are a couple of questions I want us to ask. There are going to be two questions that I ask. There's going to be like a, a third question that I ask and I'm going to give some. And the first question, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask it and then I'm going to invite us to just sit and to just like reflect with the Lord. This is the first one. What are the traditions that keep you from accessing God's? Maybe it's an idea of a tradition you used to have, or maybe it's a current one. And somehow the, the vehicle of that tradition is actually blocking you from the vision of what it is that God has when it is when it comes to like receiving his what are the traditions or the tradition here's a here's another question for us what are the traditions that we meaning what are the traditions that we keep that block others thinking about the second commandment from accessing accessing God's love sort of the the reason for those two questions even if you're not exactly sure like of a concrete answer. Maybe you have one, maybe you don't. But the purpose of the question is meant to challenge like your, your picture of what the vision is. The vision are those two commandments, the two greatest commands that you would receive the love of God and to love him. And from the overflow of that life, that, you, that is the vision. Everything that, we, that you take is meant to be geared towards that vision, that orienting vision. And the good news of Jesus is that though you do that imperfectly now, the end looks a lot like the beginning. Though you are weak, he is strong, right? Though you are weak, that he is strong. This is, this is the final question. I'm going to give a couple of comments 
and then we're going to, actually, I'm going to just go ahead and invite the worship team as we uh, start to transition. One more question, a comment, and we'll go. So what do we find in traditions that make us want to do that? Like, what is it about traditions and that very human experience, about the routines that we have, about the habits that we form, particularly that, like, start to interrelate with, like, our spiritual life, that make us want to grab hold of that more over time than, like, that original vision of being loved by God and loved. I think just a part of a human experience, and this is just a pastor speaking, is that we have, um, we really crave a sense of certainty. And there's, again, that's not a bad thing. We crave a sense of certainty. And what, what is being worked out of us is an understanding of what is certain. Like, I can say what is certain is that the worst thing that can happen is that you're going to die and you're going to wake up. And on the other side, like, there is no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more isolation, there's no more separation, there's no anything else. And what is happening, what's being worked out in you, the process, the theological word of sanctification, what's happening in you is that you are coming to believe that more and more every day. That you're becoming more and more certain of that every day. But you might be in a place where there are parts of you that are more certain about other things than about that. And so you crave certainty And so what it is that routines do for you, what it is that habits do for you, is they give you a sense of certainty, a sense of concreteness, that like, I understand the world, and if I can understand it, then I don't have to fear it. And it's just difficult to explain how challenging like fear is in our lives. And this is this is why the gospel is so powerful. This is what Paul says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. There's a, there's a man who is a, who was one of the original preachers in the United States, like 400 years, it wasn't 400 years ago, but it's close to 400 years ago. This guy named Jonathan Edwards. And he, he, um, one of the things that pastors try to do is they try to come up with good analogies to explain something that is like, that seems abstract and they want to make it like understandable and concrete. And this is how he explained like this idea that perfect love casts out fear. He's like, imagine that your heart has a container, and it's filled with oil. And that oil represents like all of the junk inside of you, all of the fear, all of the worry, all of the anxiety, all of the brokenness, all those like those pieces that are you. The thing about oil is that it doesn't mix with water. And that, that, that container that is your heart, it can't be poured out. The only thing that can get the oil, the anxiety, the worry, the brokenness, all the junk that is you out is for something to be poured in that will displace it. And that's what the love of God is. As he pours in his love for you, and as you receive his love, it displaces the worry. It displaces the, it displaces the anxiety. It doesn't worry and the lack thereof. And in trying to deal with the anxiety that you feel, it does not come from like, today I'm going to emotionally gird my loins and be brave. That doesn't work. It looks like, Father, I receive your love today. Fill me, Lord. The only thing that displaces the anxiety, the worry, the anger, all the broken pieces of me is the love. Perfect love casts out fear. The good news of Jesus in this loaded question is that he won't let the traditions that once worked keep you from him loving you. I'm going to say that again. The good news of Jesus in this loaded question is that he will not let the traditions that once worked 
and one day will not work if it's working now. Keep him from loving you. He who began a good work is going to finish it. He's going to finish it. So we come to the table tonight, and uh, I saw a, uh, a thing this week. This is not original. This is not like a Doug special. This is completely kiped from someone else. But I, I think this is just a, a, a beautiful way of understanding what it is that we're doing when we come to the table. Uh, coming to the table is an act of walking towards our Father. What, what Jesus was able to do and giving himself up is to say, like, for, for all of your life, until, until me, you were unable to receive my love, even as I chased after you. And what it is that Jesus did is he, he created the way for us to be in relationship with God again, to receive his love again. Even though he was constantly trying to give it, a way was made. And th- this is, this is the, the thing. Religion says this. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. That's, that's what religion says. This is what the gospel says. This is what the table says. This is what Jesus said. I, mess, I messed up. I need to call my dad. God is not a dad to be feared. He's a, he, he is a, he's a dad who would stop at nothing to get you back to Eden. The gospel is I messed up. I need to call my dad. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had his disciples together. He wanted them to understand, right? what it is that his vision was, and what it was to love. So he took the bread that he had. Today we, we don't come to the table because we have it all figured out. We don't come to the table today because we're good at keeping those plans to love, to love God and to love others. We come to the table because we aren't good at it. We come to the table because we're like, even if I had a quote-unquote good week this week with the Lord or with other people, it, it still wasn't perfect. It still wasn't right. It's still this admission, like, Dad, I messed up. I, I got to call him. And that I, like, in the places where I'm weak, he is strong. Paul talks about how when we, before we come to the table, it's right that we would examine our hearts. So I want to encourage you all, uh, before coming up tonight, that you would take a few moments, just really ask the Lord what it is that he wants you to hear from him tonight. Maybe that's a, a word of conviction or a word of challenge. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Um, m- maybe the thing that the Lord simply wants to share with you tonight is he loves you. And, and maybe f- for many of us tonight, that would be a transformational word. Tonight. And when you're ready, I want to encourage you to come. I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, sing I surrender. I surrender to you. Everything I give, everything I give to you. 
here I am, here I stand, Lord, my life is in your hands, all I'm longing to I kill myself away. I kill myself away so you can use me. I kill myself away. I kill myself away so you can you take my heart take my heart take my life as a living sacrifice all my dreams all my plans Lord I place them Kill myself away so you can use me. I kill myself away. I kill myself away so you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong I give myself I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself I give myself to you My life is not my own, to you I belong, I give myself, I give myself to you, my life is not my own, to you I belong, I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself. I give myself to you. Sing my life. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself. Give myself to you. Give myself away. I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give myself away. 
we just sit in your presence right now we thank you we thank you for being with us today and before we dismiss i just like to encourage everybody to meditate on the word that we just received today why do you break the command of god for the sake of your tradition to meditate on the questions that pastor doug challenged us with what are the traditions that keep us from accessing god's love what are the traditions that we have that keep others from seeing god's love And Lord God, we just ask you that we keep the vision before us of love and that we not put the vehicle before. Let your spirit grow strong in us, Lord God, and break those traditions that don't give you glory. But let us love well, you and others. We thank you, Lord God. And as you go, I'd like to speak words from Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him that's able to keep us from falling, and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go and be blessed. If you could, could you please put your seat up on the racks that are going to be pulled out? Give somebody a hug that's beside you. Let them know that you love them. Introduce yourself if you don't know somebody that's beside you. And go in God's love.